0: You may open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. You have three pastoral epistles in the New Testament. They are epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul to two ministers, Timothy and Titus. We are into one of those pastoral epistles right now. As our brother Paul gives his final parting advice and exhortation, To Timothy, these are the last words of our brother Paul. Because he tells us in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And those words are in context of him exhorting Timothy, to finish his course, and to fight a good fight, and to keep the faith. So I hope you understand them well if you read Second Timothy 3 last evening. We began this morning by reading from First Timothy chapter 4, where we read, The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the last days there would be a falling away, and men would give themselves over to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Apostle Paul had to warn his ministers about what was coming, and he did so. And we want to take a look at the 22 verses from chapter 3 and verse 1 down to chapter 4 and verse 5 and see there a sober warning about a grave threat against Christianity that is being fulfilled in our time. Many of you said to me after our study of the last four weeks about 70 A.D. about the number of warnings that there are in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the destruction of Jerusalem. Some of you said you were surprised and appreciated the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was so practically minded in the warnings that He gave for the women. You know, pray that you be not with child or that it be not in the winter or that it be not on a Sabbath day. Or woe unto them that would might be nursing in that time. Even as He went up to Calvary's cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was still exhorting those women and warning them of the trouble that was coming. You should have asked yourself, and I hope we ask ourselves now, if we had heard the Lord Jesus Christ give those warnings repeatedly, the parables, the plainer warnings, if we would have heard Peter, with many other words, testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation, would we have kept the faith for 40 years? Would we have maintained our vigilance for 40 long years until those Roman armies did appear? Well, they appeared 1935 years ago and laid waste to the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, the temple, and all that was... In that temple. We don't have that prophecy to apply to ourselves. We have this prophecy to apply to ourselves. And we need to ask ourselves, am I going to be vigilant with the warning given to Gentile saints of the second, third, fourth, and hundredth generation? Which is what we are. And if there's ever been a generation that fulfilled these words, it's the present one. If you'll read this with understanding, you will see that the great majority of those that call themselves Christians today, fulfill this prophetic warning. 22 verses. You know some of them. I'll bet more than half of you could stand and quote Second Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. However, I want you to learn that that verse is in a context That makes it important. It is not just a sound bite to memorize about the Bible. It's in a context of this prophetic warning of a great threat to our church, to your family, and to your soul. And the Bible is the cure for that threat. And that's where that verse fits in. Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You have God's words, Timothy. Don't move from them, though the whole rest of the Christian world might move from them. Because those words are able to make the man of God perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, Timothy, preach the word. That's where that verse fits in. I want you to understand that all 22 verses are one lesson, one warning, one prophecy about what was coming. The character is in verses 1 through 5. It will describe for us the generation in which we live. The characters, the false teachers themselves are in verses 6 through 13. The cure is in verses 14 through 17, and the charge is in chapter 4, those first five verses. I want you to learn this. I have preached it before. I will preach it again, because look at what the fifth verse of the fourth chapter tells me. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Full proof of my ministry is to do what is told me right here. Amen. And it's to warn against these perilous times and to oppose them with all my might and to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season Amen. to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And that's what I'm going to do. Today, we are not going to make it any farther than verse 5. I intended to go a lot farther as I laid out this study. But if we are going to look at the 19 perils, 19 dangers, if I was able to tell you that there is something in your diet that is going to kill you in the next few years, you would want me to tell you. You would not want me to skip over it just to have a friendly dinner with you. And you do not want me to skip over these 19 perils if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to be a successful Christian and part of the remnant of the saints of the Lord Jesus in this world. Because all 19 are a threat to you, your family, and this church. Let me read those first five verses. And I hope that you will read this chapter every day between now and next Sunday. For those of you that truly love the Lord and His precious words, I hope you'll memorize it. It's only 22 verses. You're expecting your children to memorize the book of Matthew. Surely you can handle 22 verses. They're good verses. First five this morning. Imagine our brother Paul in Rome. He's already appeared before Caesar once. Chapter four tells us. He knows he's about to die. The Holy Spirit tells him that a great danger is coming to the churches of Jesus Christ. He has one final epistle to write to his understudy Timothy, his favorite student, to exhort him to be faithful. And here it is. And I love this passage because we are living in the fulfillment of it. If you think that you would have loved to have lived in the times of the Lord Jesus Christ and have known that the 70 weeks of years were coming to a conclusion if you saw John the Baptist arise and start to baptize the River Jordan, if that would have excited you, then why doesn't this excite you? This is the Word of the Lord and a prophecy that applies to you and me. Verse 1, This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. From such, turn away. This is Paul's warning to Timothy. There is no place for Christian association. This is why our church is not part of a denomination. Why it's not part of the Southern Baptist or any other kind of Baptist convention. Why it's not part of an association or a fellowship? Because we are to turn away from all such religious compromise and it is worse in our day than it's ever been. There are more proclaiming the name of Christ and fewer knowing what it means than ever before. This is a prophecy you should get excited about and I call on you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've all been baptized in His name. You have said that you are going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter tells us what we must fight against. And we have to enter into 19 perils. Perils that will steal and destroy your soul if we don't fight against them. 19 perils that are taking the rest of the Christian world down the sewer. It's destroying them. It's turning Christianity into a cesspool. There is no division being made between the holy and the profane. It's a religion of compromise. The Apostle Paul was raised up by the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Apostle of the Gentiles. He's our leader. He's our teacher by the grace of God. It was his job to teach what was to be done in the churches. If you'll come back a few pages in your Bible, let me remind you of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Timothy 3.15 I'll read verse 14 as well since it's part of the sentence. Paul to Timothy, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Timothy, I am writing to you so that you will know how you ought to conduct or behave yourself in the church of God the church of the living God, because it is the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar is something that supports the roof system, and the ground is the foundation and the basis upon which a building stands in the edifice of the churches of Jesus Christ. The the churches of Jesus Christ are the edifice for the truth of God, and they're perpetuated by God's ministers. God gave it to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave it to Paul. He appeared to Paul specifically and individually. Paul gave it to Timothy and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we can read that Paul, that Timothy was to give it to others. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2. Let's get verse 1, because he mentions Timothy as his son. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. This is ministerial succession. This is the perpetuity of God's ministers. My son, be strong. One of the first qualifications for a minister is, he better be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus to use every ounce of ability and power that God would have given a man. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, my public preaching, Timothy, you remember everything that I have taught you publicly. And you find other men that will be able to teach those things, faithful men who will not depart from those things, and commit it to them so that they in turn can find other able and faithful men who will perpetuate the truth in the earth, because perilous times are coming in the which there's going to be inroads made against that truth, because men shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And we're there. We're there. May the Lord God in His good time raise up other men from this assembly who are strong, able, and faithful. That we be in that succession of ministers that has helped perpetuate the truth in the earth. Second Timothy chapter three. Timothy, this know also, in addition to all the other things that I've written you, I have one last long exhortation I want to give you before I close out this epistle. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The last days describe the time from the Lord Jesus Christ to the end of the world, but the last days as Paul uses it right here are not quite so wide and nor are they quite so vague. Because it's a future time. Timothy is not laying claim to be in the last times. Nor is he saying, Paul is not saying, he is in the perilous times. He's saying they shall come. It is a future occurrence that is to take place. Not something that existed right then. This was going to happen. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Perilous. Perilous means dangerous. Perilous means threatening. Perilous is a frightening word. And we should be frightened by it. It means very dangerous, full of risk, hazardous, very harmful, dreadful, frightening, threatening, terrible, greatly to be avoided. That's what perilous means. Now you were impressed by the words, There shall not be left two stones upon each other. I will level this temple. I will send armies and surround this city, and it will destroy the city of Jerusalem. You were impressed by those statements. Here's a statement. The perilous times of the last days. And you ought to be convicted by it. What is Paul about to tell Timothy? Because I want to avoid it. This is a grave danger and threat to your soul. There are enemies out there that want to take you down and the devil is behind them all and a threat to your family and a threat to this church. The devil chose after the Lord Jesus Christ to send out a wave of persecution. He would persecute saints to death to get rid of the churches of Jesus Christ. But it didn't work. Persecution instead purified the church, and made it stronger than ever. Because when your life is on the line, guess how many came to communion? Only the faithful. Are you able to follow that simple little illustration? When you could die for assembling with the saints of God, only the serious showed up. Who wanted to be a hypocrite if you were going to die for being a hypocrite? It didn't work. It backfired on them. Wales was full of churches. North Africa, Bohemia, full of churches thriving even though they were being cut off and killed by first pagan Rome and then papal Rome. It didn't work. But the Holy Spirit tells us here of a new tactic. And that is, instead of persecuting them to death, I'll pleasure them to death. I'll give them so much pleasure, so much fatness, So much carnal seduction by an attractive world that I'll lull them to sleep so they amount to nothing in the service of their king. I hate their king. And this is what the devil has chosen to do and we live in that generation. You can do anything you want with the Word of God today. We put web articles out there and send them to the whole world and no one says a thing to us. You can go stand in a street corner and preach. You can hand out literature anywhere you want. I'm not suggesting either of the last two. I'm just saying you can do it because there's total freedom from persecution of that sort. However, there is a threat to all of our souls and the souls of our family and the soul of this church by too much pleasure and carnal worldliness. And that is the threat. And we have 19 perils to look at. You know, men fear so many things. They fear famine. Oh, if we didn't have anything to eat, what would it drive us to do more of? Pray. Pray. That's not gonna work, is it? Recession. If we had a recession and more and more of us were laid off, what would that drive us to do? Pray. Pray. That's not gonna work. War. What do men do when they're afraid of dying? They pray. Disease. Pollution. Global warming. And all the other things that men are afraid of. It's ridiculous. They're not even mentioned in the Bible. Nowhere does Paul tell Timothy, Titus, or any church to be afraid of war, to be afraid of famine, to be afraid of a recession. He's going to list the perils that we're supposed to be afraid of. Oh, and they come a lot closer to home. Very close to home to all of us. There's nothing here about cults. You know, Paul doesn't say, be afraid of those Mormons. Mormons are going to be a peril to the church. Listen, if anyone is tempted by a Mormon, they had such serious problems before they got started, they weren't really a Christian. Right. Because how can a Christian become a pagan? It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. How many true Christians were led astray By a lying, perjured man named Charles Taze Russell who prophesied the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 20 times before he died and it didn't happen on any of the dates. Who was led astray by him? He's not a threat to real Christians. Neither is it witchcraft or idolatry, murder, adultery, pornography, bestiality. It's not those things. Those aren't the threat to us. It's not the United Nations. It's not the CFR. It's not the USSR. It's already gone. It's not UNICEF or the CIA or the Boy Scouts of America. It's none of those organizations. They've never been a threat to Christianity. They never will be. They cannot be because they do not know how to fight a spiritual battle. Our warfare is a spiritual warfare. It is not flesh and blood. And it's right here in this context. But the devil... And other false preachers who are part of this conspiracy get men distracted with those things. There are churches today that have given up on having a sermon because everyone is walking down the aisle to drop a box of canned soup to take it to New Orleans. Many churches will spend two days filling a truck with stuff for New Orleans. If we had brothers down in New Orleans that needed that stuff, we'd send it to them. And we're looking for some just for your information. But that isn't what the church of God is for. The church of God is to come together and hear the Word of God preached. You know, they're fighting famine. Others will get together today and hear a political sermon about some conspiracy going on in high level of government. And the man talking about it doesn't know what he's talking about, but it draws crowds because men want to fight something out there rather than something in here. Because what's in here is the peril. If we cave in and do these 19 things. And these 19 things are justified today. There's very little preaching against these 19 things. In fact, Most churches use these 19 things to build their membership. They feed off a pleasure rather than opposing it. They love to have a form of godliness and just a little form at that. There's not even a whole lot of form left in some places. You can hardly tell they're worshiping God. Those are not the perils. And yet how easy it is for the devil to distract us and for men to mislead us and think that we've got an enemy out there that we need to fight That's international politics. That's government. That's famine. Or we need to fear a depression. No, we need to fear these perils. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, Timothy. This is the great threat that is coming against the churches of Jesus Christ, the saints of Jesus Christ, and the families of those saints. So, Timothy, I'm going to tell you the character. God the Holy Spirit is indicting to my heart right now. My heart is indicting a bad matter. I speak of the things which I have written concerning the perilous times. I'm paraphrasing Psalm 45 verse 1. God the Holy Spirit was giving Timothy a lot of matter, giving Paul a lot of matter about these perilous times. And he's about to tell us the character of them in five verses. This would describe the rise of a brand of Christianity. 2 Timothy 3, 1 down through 4, 5 is not describing the world. True. We can prove that several different ways. Number one, perilous times shall come. The world's always lived that way. Go read Romans chapter 1. Right. Go read Genesis chapter 6 before the flood. It doesn't matter whether it's pre-flood or post-flood. The world's always lived this way. But there was a time coming that would be perilous for the saints of Jesus Christ. Paul, nor Timothy, nor the Lord Jesus cared about the rest of the world. They cared about the saints. And so this is a warning to saints about perils that would come in a future time when Christians would live like this and allow this kind of activity in their churches. How else do we know it? Because it says they have a form of godliness. Those aren't worldly pagans. Those are Christians that have a form of godliness. And the problem is not the wrong God. The problem is there's no power or teeth in their gospel or in their lives. It says they're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It doesn't say they don't love God. It just says they love pleasure more than that. It says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That means they had been enduring it. They had been sitting there listening to Bible preaching, but now they don't want it. They want a praise band to keep them entertained instead of the preaching of God's Word. This is Christianity. This is not a description of the world. This is not a description of pagans. This is a description of modern Christians and modern churches. This is is a description of those churches that put on their billboards, if you come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. That offer contemporary and casual worship. Come as you are. Seeker-sensitive churches that are looking for people that have never been to church and don't want to be in church, but get them in there because they feel it's a social club. This is that. And I'm not Peter, and I'm not quoting Joel but I'm saying this is that because you can look around and see that this prophecy is fulfilled in our time. This These 22 verses, chapter 3, verse 1, down to verse 5 of chapter 4, is describing the rise of a carnal, compromising, effeminate, worldly brand of Christianity. And it is here. It is now the majority position It is by by a vast difference the majority position. It is almost all the churches that claim to be Christian churches today have to some degree compromised with what we're about to read. The preaching gets less and less. The entertainment gets more and more. The preaching gets less and less Bible and more and more jokes, stories, and anecdotes. They do not want to hear the Word of God laid out. Just as, the, just as it tells us in such graphic, express detail. Let's go. Peril number one. Remember, at each one of these, Christians are going to allow these things and not preach against them. Christians will start to live this way and this is a threat to us, our families and our church. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Timothy, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, re- let me remind you, this is not talking about the world. Cain always loved himself. Ham loved himself. Goliath loved himself. Pharaoh loved himself. Demas loved himself. Oh, Demas loved himself. Yeah. A Christian that loved himself and should have known better. Having loved this present world, Demas was more interested in satisfying the lust of his flesh in this world than he was loving God. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. There's two ways we can look at this little expression. First of all, there is a theory today called the self-love theory and the self-esteem theory. It's preached by men like James Dobson. Robert Shuler, and other humanist psychologists that use a smattering of Scripture from time to time, but who are not even closely, even remotely, related to Bible Amen. James Dobson is on radio stations because he doesn't preach the Bible. If he ever preached the Bible, he'd be off the radio. Because he would tell the truth about child training. He would tell the truth about sodomy. He would tell the truth about ADHD and all the other problems that they excuse child disobedience with. And we'll get to that one too, won't we? Because disobedient to children, disobedient to parents is one of our 19 perils. So we have a religion being taught in many churches under the name of Christianity called self-love and self-esteem. And it goes something like this. If you want to solve all of your relational problems, then you need to learn to love yourself more. Your problem, people, is that you don't esteem yourself high enough. If you were to turn on Robert Schuller for 15 minutes, you would grasp what I'm talking about. Every single sermon is telling you to get up and look in the mirror and, and tell yourself how beautiful you are. Where is that in the Bible? The emphasis in the Word of God is that we be lovers of God and lovers of our neighbor because we already love ourselves too much And we should learn to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. They twist the Word of God and say, until you learn to love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. No one needs to learn to love themselves. They already love themselves by the depraved heart they have from Adam. That's the first thing. You know, it is exciting to read very recent studies in which psychologists have gone out into prisons and interviewed inmates. And the more serious the crimes, guess what they have learned about those inmates? They have higher degrees of self-esteem and self-confidence than anyone else. That's why they felt they were above the law. Can't you figure that out yourselves? That's why they didn't regard what anyone else told them or the rights of anyone else. How can you murder a person unless your self-esteem, self-love, and self-confidence is so high, that person is nothing but trash in your sight? And James Dobson says that'll cure all your relational problems. James Dobson is one of the foremost objects of this prophecy. He creeps into houses every single day and leads captive silly women who ought to be learning from their husbands instead of listening to a man woman on the radio try to tell him, try to tell them effeminate ways to raise a family. If you ever listen to him, as soon as you hear his voice, you're wondering, what in the world am I listening to? I'll tell you one thing, David never talked like that. You want to read about David? Go read 1 Samuel 25 and how he talked to Abigail when he met her. Go read some of his psalms. Go read the psalm we just read about God cutting them off. James Dobson has never said the words cut off in his entire ministry for as long as he's lived. Nor has he ever thought them because he's never read the Bible. If he were to preach about men getting cut off, he'd be cut off. Cut off the air. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Not only in practice, but in a doctrine. If you read modern self-help religious books, they're going to tell you that to solve your problems, you need to learn to love yourself. That is contrary to Bible Christianity. Timothy, perilous times are coming. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves. And you have learned of me, and I learned it from the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You have learned from the Lord Jesus Christ that He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give Himself a ransom for many. You learned from Philippians chapter 2 when I preached that and you were sitting there in the audience that you ought to prefer others before yourself and to think on their things rather than your own things. You know that in the religion of Jesus Christ, you're to be a servant. What a difference, brethren. Now, what are we going to do about that? Are your children being taught to be servants? Every one of you parents. Are your children being taught to be servants or are they selfish little whiners? Are they always looking for what they're going to get? Do they complain when they're not given enough attention? Or are they servants that are out giving attention all the time to others? There is a huge difference. If you are not teaching your children to be servants and to love others, then you are part of the perilous times of the last days. Your little children came out of your wife's womb selfish. They came out full of self-love, self-esteem. They never thought about their mother. They would cry any time they felt like it, and they expected a response right then, no matter what you were doing. Because they're full of self. The Bible condemns self-will selfishness, self-centeredness, and anything to do with self. We're to get out of ourselves and to serve others. We're to get out of ourselves and serve the Lord. Brethren, the Bible stands entirely opposed to James Dobson and the others that preach that message of self-love. But it also stands opposed to us loving ourselves. And how do we know if we love ourselves or not? How willing are you to serve others? What will you do for others? It's getting out of yourself. Jesus said the second commandment is to love thy neighbor as thyself. You already love yourself. You need to learn to love your neighbor. I've preached whole messages on that subject. You'll have to refer to those notes or those past sermons. It says that men shall be covetous. Do we live in a materialistic society? Has there ever been a more materialistic society? It's hard to read about one that's more materialistic than the present society, society we live in. The whole nation is on a treadmill at top speed to see what it can acquire to outdo the neighbors. Covetousness is visible in advertising, extortion, lawsuits, covenant breaking, theft, and lying. But it's also visible in a lack of giving, saving, charity, and accumulation of debt. When a person doesn't save money, why don't they save? Because they're covetous for things and they have to spend all that they take in. When they don't give, why don't they give? Because they're covetous. I want it for me. The Lord can wait. It's visible in widespread greed, depression, frustration, envy, jealousy, and complaining. You can tell that men are covetous. Yet ministers, we have ministers Getting on the television, teaching people that if they'll send in a seed, if they'll sow a seed, they'll help them get rich. Over, Some of you need to watch a little bit of religious television to understand. You don't even know what I'm talking about when I say sow a seed. Every program is to sow a seed. Sow a seed and we'll make you rich. No, sow a seed and you're going to make me rich is what they're really saying. But we see through that and those people that watch it don't. Sow a seed and get rich. You know, there's some like Reverend Ike and others, they'll flip open their sport coats and have Rolex watches hanging there. They drive away from that hall with a Rolls Royce to the airport where they get in their own Learjet. I'm speaking of Benny Hinn. Sow a seed and you'll prosper. They want you to sow a seed so they can prosper. They feed off of the covetousness of men. We need to fight covetousness. We need to teach our children that life does not consist in the abundance of things that a person possesses, but in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and living in His kingdom. Covetousness. Bible Christianity is based on contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. They're teaching that getting more is great gain. That's why they have megachurches. Obviously, the Lord is with us because gain is godliness. But the Bible says those that preach a religion that gain is godliness are men destitute of the truth and they do not know what they are talking about at all. 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. And then it says, godliness is gain. That's how we should prioritize our lives. Living a godly life Is a, is a gain and is a successful life. They preach that gain is godliness. If you're getting ahead and your church is growing and you've got a mega church, then obviously you must be living right. Haven't you ever heard that in an office place? When someone has something happen to them like a promotion or a raise or something good happens, they say, you must be living right. Measuring godliness by gain. We measure gain by godliness. What a difference. Are you teaching your children that? Are you totally convinced of that in your own heart? Even minding earthly things in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 is called being a belly worshiper. That is covetousness where you're wanting things for yourself and and the apostle would call it belly worship because you're more concerned about your little belly button and what's behind it than you are the things of God a belly worshiper, and Paul said, I warned you many times and with tears that those men are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. These are perilous times. These things are being preached aloud and even promoted from pulpits in the name of Christianity. We have to oppose them in this church, in our families, and in our own souls. We've covered two. Lovers of your own self. Every one of us needs to measure ourselves by Jesus Christ's standard that He did not come to be served, but instead to serve. And the greatest in His kingdom are not those that get the most, but those that give the most. And that needs to be taught to our children. Then we saw covetousness, the desire for things that God has not given you, and the frustration, depression, and discontentment that results because you don't have what you think you deserve. When a Christian is to be a contented, thankful, happy person, regardless of circumstances. Right. Here it is. This is, the, this is the peril. Can you see that if we were to promote self-love in this church, that we would create a bunch of selfish, selfish, spoiled little brats in our homes? If we were to feed off of materialism as being a measure of godliness... We'd be promoting going out and making a buck as the most important thing in your life instead of achieving godliness. We must fight these things to keep our church, our families, and our souls.